The San Diego Padres' playoff chances may be dwindling, but at least they played pretty well against the uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Dare I say the bizarro version of the Padres. Recapping this series, talking about Tatis stealing home, how cool that was. Overall, it's kind of vibes with the team in general. And then winning close games being the big problem for the team this year, guys. I know, we got a lot to talk about. So let's get on into it. You are locked on Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Thursday, August 17th. As always, I am your host with sometimes occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, where I tweet about all sorts of things, including the Padres and including, say, my review for Blue Beetle, which is coming out tomorrow. Pretty cool stuff. Or if you want only baseball stuff, because after all, this is a baseball podcast, at LO underscore Padres. And then you could also check out the YouTube if you're more video uh, sort of listener you could check that out at um, Lockdown Padres on YouTube so go do that today's episode guys is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook the official sportsbook of Locked On make every moment more visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started in today's episode we are doing more recaps and look it's I know that I said I'm going to try my best not to do as many recaps but what can I say it's three games that you guys haven't heard my lovely voice discuss lately. Incredible stuff, right? Like, it's just, wow. Like, I haven't been, I haven't, I've got three days without talking about the Padres games. Um, and that's partially because I think that the Padres season is pretty much, it just looks like it's over. Like, I really think they're cooked. I think after they lost uh, those Mariners games and then after they lost three out of four of the D-backs, this was the crucial spot and they needed to play well in order to gain you know, games in the wild card race, and they didn't do it. So I really just think that this is probably over. Um, couple that with the Joe Musgrove injury. Um, you know, and I think that's just, I, I just think that's it. But we're still going to talk about it. And in fairness, it's not completely over. I just personally think it is. I know that fa- what Fangraph says, they have a 24.7% chance uh, via Fangraphs to make the playoffs. Um, it's funny that it was like 38% about a week ago. So that, that does show you what I meant by this really was a key stretch. And then they floundered it as usual, as they've been doing all year. Um, and then the D-backs were at like an 18%. Now it's 24.7 for the Padres, 23.4 for the D-backs because they've been playing well. So that's one just showing you, yes, this is why I said it was a big, you know, stretch and that this was kind of going to decide their season and then also shows you how quickly the percentages can change so uh, on one hand it's like if the Padres are able to sweep the Diamondbacks this weekend then those numbers would probably skyrocket a bit more probably get them up to like that 30% rage or something but I'm using too many numbers let's talk about the games uh, for real what happened let's start off with last night which was kind of an electric game um, in a lot of ways and not because the Padres scored a lot they scored five runs they ended up winning five to two but because you kind of saw like the best potential of the Padres in a lot of ways. Um, big, big plays made throughout. Before we talk about those big plays, though, Blake Snell, another great start. Uh, six innings, two earned runs on three hits, walked two, only struck out five, which is kind of like a, a really low number for him. And I think that they mentioned on the broadcast a really phenomenal stat, which was like Blake Snell could be one of the first pitchers in Major League history, or at least in a while. I don't remember what they exactly said. That could have the lowest ERA in the league 
um, maybe the National League, but then also lead the league in walks. Like, that is, there's two things from that. Two things from that. Two important notes that I want to make. Number one, uh, it just shows you how incredible Blake Snell's swing and mess stuff has been. Um, sometimes they'll throw some curveballs that don't look all that impressive, and they straight up will land in the dirt, and Campuzano or Gary will have to like pick up the ball, but guys are still swinging at them. It just has such a descent, those curves and stuff, all the off-speed stuff. Slider's been unstoppable. The high fastball's basically unhittable once batters, once he can get batters to chase after it. So he's been great. The second thing is, I do wonder if this is a guy that you want to give a major extension to. Um, and I'm not saying that they that I would have preferred Darvish over Snell. I, I thought that like it said a lot that the two players that the Padres extended have turned out to be Cronenworth and Darvish, while Snell and um, Hassan Kim are not. Hassan Kim, granted, is under contract through next year, but even still, it just shows you it, it's more complicated than that. But in a vacuum, it shows you kind of a microcosm of the Padres' uh, decisions lately. Um, but it also, I think that with Snell, while I would have preferred extending him over Darvish, I think, or at least would have preferred that second, to which was my number one stance would be to re-sign neither of them. Um, the second point here is that with that walk rate, I, I do wonder if extending a, pl- a pitcher like Blake Snell with the expectation that he can replicate what he did this year might not be the best decision. I think that I'd be expecting maybe something he did two years ago or last year, I say more likely, because what I do like about him and what is going in his favor is the pitch mix. Um, he used to be very fastball slider dominant, um, but this year his changeups working a lot better. The curveball is working a lot better, as I alluded to before. So that's the good news about him. If you want to commit to Blake Snell long term, the bad news is so many walks, the the inefficiency overall. It makes me wonder if there's going to be like a giant regression to the mean next year, and maybe the field independent pitching stuff will come in, and he won't be quite as dominant. So you got to be careful with that. I'm not saying I would hate. Uh, bringing Blake Snell to my team. I'm just saying that those are some caveats. You know, speaking of FIP, you know, Padres have one of the best defenses in baseball this year. So it's just, I'm just kind of talking. You know what I mean? That's what we do on this podcast. I'm just talking, analyzing. But still, good performance from Snell. And the Padres are able to score enough um, against the Orioles. Now, that's not necessarily a problem against a team like the Orioles. They're starting pitching has been incredibly suspect all year. They lit up Jack Flaherty in this series as well. We'll get to that later. But um, Dean Kramer, not terrible for the Orioles, but thankfully the Padres were able to hit uh, one of their recent acquisitions, Shintaro Fujinami, who they acquired at the deadline, who has been, you know, he throws hard, but has not been uh, all that super successful um, from what I've seen so far. 8.7 ERA with the Orioles right now. So not the not the best, uh, but he is young. I mean, it's his, is he young? I actually don't know. Give me one second. What was he born? Yeah, he's, he's still pretty young uh, for the most part. He's like 29, so he's not too old, um, but... He is uh, struggling right now for the Orioles, which is unfortunate, which is unfortunate. But, ladies and gentlemen, the offense, where did it come from? You might be wondering where did it come from. Well, that's the fun part. That's the fun part. And, by the way, speaking of Padres defense, I should bring up two incredible plays from Padres defenders um, in this game. Jake Cronenworth making a leaping, like, elastic, monkey D. Luffy stretching, jumping catch over at first base. The guy's a good defender, man. I mean, I, I think we've all known that for a long time. We just need the hitting to come in, especially given that first base is where you're supposed to get a lot of your hitting. But really great by, play by him. And then you also get a nice um, catch in the outfield from Trent Grisham, who 
is, I mean, he's a gold glove winner, obviously, so we should expect him to make these plays. But for people who have been watching the Padres long enough, they know how much Grisham can sometimes struggle with, like, completing the catch. I joked on Twitter a while ago that Grisham would literally get the perfect jump and be fast enough to come all the way down to where I am in New Jersey. But then he would, the ball would bounce off his glove. Right? Like he does every single thing right for being a defender, but sometimes the actual catching is just so weird. The amount of times I've seen the ball bounce off his glove or whatever, it's just, it's very odd. But he makes the catch there, so that was great. And he also hits a home run in this game. Uh, so shouts to Grisham uh, in the bottom of the seventh, giving the Padres a 4 2 lead. And look, Grisham is, he's, he's still not all that great. You know what I mean? In the grand scheme of things, he's upped his overall offense. If you want to compare it to last year, it's still not at a level that feels like something you can get excited about. He's got a 97 WRC plus on the season, which is better than last year, right? Last year he was rocking an 83, but he actually has a lower F4 total so far than last year. Um, And part of that has been that his defense hasn't been as astronomical, probably because the aforementioned drops, but just it's weird. It's weird to know. Um, that he improved a little bit on offense, but at the cost of some of his defensive value. Um, not that it's been dreadful, don't get me wrong. In the outfield, he's got two defensive runs saved on the air, six outs above average, but compared to last year, eight defensive runs saved and 14 outs above average. So the minuscule improvements to his offense haven't done enough to really just, not justify, to get excited about whatever he's doing. He's also striking out more, uh, only by 0.4% more, but still, uh, it just hasn't been great for him. Overall, and granted, there are a lot you could do a lot worse with your like nine hitter, which is what Grisham is. And I know that people were getting excited that he'd been hitting well over the last month or so, or at least I think a month ago, people were getting excited about how Grisham had been hitting about a month ago uh, for the last month. But he he just is what he is. He's a below average offensive player who has upside um, because of his defense and will probably always be on a major league roster for that. Um, but even still. All I want from him is like a 105 WRC+. plus. I wanted what Kim did um, last year. And it just goes to show you that just because you saw some cool statistics about how Grisham's hard hit rate spiked in the second half last year, better than almost anyone, doesn't mean that that means they're going to be back to what we thought he was going to be, which was that sweet 2020 and beginning of 2021 Grisham. Ah, it's like the Vince McMahon meme. He was special. He was special. But also in this play, we had the Grisham play. We had the Gronenworth play. Fernando Tatis Jr. having himself a nice game on top of getting an RBI in this one in the bottom of the third. A nice RBI for him. He goes three for four in total on the night with an RBI um, and two stolen bases on the night. And one of them was stealing home. How cool is that? It was so cool. Judged it perfectly. Where did it stole home? And I want to give a shout out to Don Orsillo, who even despite all of the sadness uh, that has just burdened, that has destroyed, desecrated this team, that he still has the energy to have just such a great call on the play. Uh, Tatis stealing home, definitely the highlight of Ness last night. So you got a lot of fun stuff. You got a great Snell performance. You got home runs from players you don't expect, like Trent Grisham. You got Tatis stealing home, some defensive plays. So you kind of had it all, and just in terms of in a vacuum, a really nice game. So that's just cool. So shouts to anybody who might have been at the game last night, because I hope you enjoyed. That was a fun game. Um, but before we continue, everybody, before we continue talking about the rest of the series, before we do that, you know, you don't have to choose between better hair growth and your health. You don't have to. That's right. Nutrafol provides a whole body health approach for men that promotes healthier hair. No drugs, no compromises, just better hair. Take control of your hair's future 
with Nutrafol's science-backed hair growth supplement for men, did you know that 80%, that's why I'm reading this correctly, 80% of men will experience hair thinning in their lifetime. It's normal, but it doesn't have to be like your destiny. It doesn't have to be your fate. You know what I mean? You're not, you're wedded to this forever. Uh, you can get ahead of thinning with Nutrafol. Um, it's the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve your hair growth, visible thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol's hair growth supplements use physician-formulated natural science-backed ingredients. Their drug-free, patented technology provides consistent, reliable results without compromising your sexual health. Really cool stuff. You could also take a little hair health quiz, um, and that will help you out with finding the causes of your thinning hair, if need be. And they support it in, in every way, in, in a healthy, good way for you. You know, you don't have to worry about any crazy, weird ingredients or whatever and, and whatnot. They've got you, um, they've got you figured out. And they'll figure out what's going on with your hair, too. On top of that, really cool stuff. So take the first step to visibly thicker, thicker, thicker. That's a weird word. Thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com slash men and enter the promo code locked on MLB. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men spelled Nutrafol, N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com slash men and enter promo code locked on MLB. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Lockdown Padres podcast. Feeling good, feeling great about this whole series uh, because the Padres won it. They beat their evil doppelganger. Um, and that's what I want to talk about a little bit. Uh, we're going to get that into a second. First, let me just quickly say uh, Tuesday's game. Tuesday's game was electric. And it was the return of Michael Waka, I think. Was it the return of Waka? Hold on, give me one second, guys. Yeah, it was the return of Michael Waka. He's been out since July 1st. He's been one of the more effective, dare I say surprising players. I was wrong because I thought that, I, let me be clear. I didn't think that the signing of Michael Waka was bad. I just didn't know if he was going to be all that good. And I know, trust me, those are two separate things because I just thought Waka being signed, it was like, okay, yeah. I mean, this team needs some back end of the you know rotation depth. You don't know how Lugo is going to turn out. You just didn't know how Martinez was going to turn out, you know, injuries, etc. And I was like, yeah, absolutely sign Michael Waka. I get it. But in terms of he himself, I was worried because of his expected stats, the fact that he had failed with the Cardinals. They usually, at least before, you know, the past few years, have been able to develop some good pitching. They let him go. His one good season, he was fully healthy. And I, I just didn't like him overall. I thought that he only had, like, one good pitch or two. And he's been awesome. And he might be one of those rare late-year bloomers uh, in this game. Five innings, zero earned runs on three hits, one walk, five Ks. He was excellent yet again. And once again, just... <laughs> Reminder of how shocking it is that the Padres can't win games. Um, but in this game, Hassan Kim two for five. Tatis going three for five as well, uh, which is really cool with the double. I had tweeted last night saying how much, like, I'm almost rooting for Tatis to buff, buff his numbers more because I just want the slander to stop going his way uh, rather than because I think, like, we need him to win. Because, again, I'm not fully, I'm not saying we're dead. 
statistically speaking, we're not. I'm just saying I've kind of resigned to the fact and have, sec- and have accepted that this team is probably not making the playoffs. So instead, I'm just hoping for some captain stats and some cool stuff. I mean, I've gotten people sending me, you know, James Outman statistics and being like, oh, well, look at him. Meanwhile, this is what Tatis is doing. And Outman's, you know, just as good, but for less and blah, 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 blah. I love it when fan bases who don't win anything you know, like they start critiquing your star player that you're paying a lot for their player that they're not paying a lot as if they don't realize that the next step to that, that's right, you Guardians fans and you Brewers fans and you Orioles fans that have sent me stuff. Like they don't realize the next step is them not extend that player and then trading him away. Like that's usually what that means. So stop talking smack about your cheap player doing as well as our good player because you're going to lose that person. That's what your organization does. Anyway, rant over. Uh, really love to see. Um, that from Tatis, um, and and he's still having a great season. He's morphed into an amazing defensive player. At the very minimum, he's morphed into an amazing defensive player uh, out in right field. So the the slander towards Tatis shows you how dumb baseball fans can be. Um, Soto gets two walks in this one, doesn't do anything on the hitting side. Machado one for four with two RBIs, a nice double from him um, at the end of the game. If I'm not mistaken, let me see if I can find that. Was that the end of the game? No, it was at the beginning of the game. Wow, bottom second. I'm thinking of a different game. Maybe it was yesterday's. I don't know. But um, really cool stuff from them. Overall, the Padres just pile on uh, by the time we get to the, the fifth inning, uh, basically. Uh, just completely in the Padres' hands. And the big thing that happens here, after Jay Cronenworth walk with the bases loaded, Gary Slamchez. I mean, St. Gary has been amazing. Grand salami for the boy. Uh, look, it's just... I think I'm going to talk about this tomorrow, actually. Just whether or not, we have to really talk about this, who should the Padres bring back next year? Because I talked about how I don't know how I feel about extending Juan Soto on yesterday's episode, but I am, or two days ago, I am wondering, like, do they need to bring back Gary Sanchez? I mean, 1.5 F4 is pretty good for a catcher, and then on top of that, WRC Plus of 112, um, I do wonder a little bit if his stats, is it possible that his home run fly ball stuff could be a little bit off in the sense that he's been... Like, every ball that he's hitting into the air is going out. That could be a possibility, but look, bottom line is the guy's been good. He's cut down in strikeout rate by 4% from last year. He's hitting the ball super hard. His, you know, or, I'm sorry. He's cut his strikeout rate. No, he hasn't. I was looking at his career stats. My mistake, guys. My mistake. It looks like... No, yeah, yeah, yes. I can't read. I'm sorry. He's cut down his strikeout rate by 4%. It was 28.9% last year. So, there's some stuff to talk about there. We'll get that... Uh, probably tomorrow, but love St. Gary. Love how great he's been. Although I do want to see Campizano play a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Um, Garrett Cooper gets a double in this game. Ben Gamold gets a double in this game. Everybody was hitting. And it all starts. And look, I, I've mentioned a lot that I think the Orioles are going to get smoked. And I think this is why. Jack Flaherty gets absolutely torched in the first inning, basically, of this game. And that was their big deadline acquisition. So I don't see it happening for this um, Orioles team. And it's funny because in a lot of ways, they're basically the bizarro version of the Padres. Um, I will say that one thing that the bullpen, um, I'm sorry, that the Orioles do have that the Padres don't is a really consistent, amazing bullpen. They don't choke in big situations. I mean, this game, the Padres bring in Luis Garcia, who still makes somehow with a 10-run lead, still gets people nervous. Uh, Not great. It's also worth mentioning, though, Steven Wilson gives up a run in this one. Scott Barlow goes two innings, two strikeouts. But, again, his 10.5 ERA isn't great. Um, Inflated because of if you have one bad outing and you just got to the team, the ERA is not going to look that great. But just shows you that, like, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Barlow will do great. New acquisition as long as it ain't a close game. You know what I mean? But uh, Luis Garcia somehow managing to scare us a little bit, um, despite having a 10-run lead, is pretty incredible stuff uh, by the Padres. Um, but eventually they get out of it, and we move on. And it was cool. And I think that, look, the reason why I think that the Padres are sort of the bizarro version of the Orioles is because the Orioles are like just a lesser version than the Padres in a vacuum, their stats. Um, The Baltimore Orioles this year, in terms of their offensive stats, which everyone loves talking about their offense, they're 16th in batting average, 17th in on-base percentage, 16th in home runs. Slugging percentage, though, they're 11th. And then in total runs, they're 8th. But, like, those stats, the batting average, the on-base, and the home runs, you'd be like, wow, that's that's not that impressive. They're kind of, like, middle of the pack in a lot of ways, and it's true. Meanwhile, the Padres, they're 20th in batting average. They're, uh, more importantly, though, they're 8th in on-base percentage, they're 10th in home runs, and they're 16th in slugging, but they're 14th in runs scored. Um, they also have the 5th best ERA uh, combined with both starting pitching and bullpen, as opposed to the Orioles, who have the... Let's see, what's their ERA? Team ERA is 14th. Yet they are like 20 games above 500. And to me, that shows a couple things. That shows a couple things. Yeah, in fact, they are literally almost like 30 games. They're like 22 games above 500. It just shows you, again, this is why there are doppelganger, you know, bizarre world versions. Because they're the version of this Padres team that actually works. Um, Maybe not to like the giant 20 game extent where they have 74 wins and the only teams that have more wins than them are the Braves and the Dodgers if I'm not mistaken not even the Dodgers have more wins than them um yeah it's just the only team that has more wins than them is the Braves I think this tells you two things one I would expect some aggression next year for the Orioles unless they're able to address their starting pitching um definitely would expect that from that team next year and number two that like this Padres team was just allergic to winning bullpen ERA spiking in high leverage situations um, their lack of hitting with runners in scoring position. That's the difference between these two teams. Now, it is still incredible. But it's its moments like this where I look at how good the Orioles have been and the fact that some of our players' stats, just based on, on paper and just what we know, having better stars than them, having better pitching than them, having better defense than them, it is really incredible uh, how the Padres are where they are at their record currently at 58 um, and 63. So... Really rough stuff. And it is the only thing that I just have to keep shouting that it just, this is, yes, Preller, if you could fire someone or if you have to fire someone, I would choose him. And I'd rebuild and I'd start investing more in positions, as I talked about with the Juan Soto discussion a couple nights ago. But it's just, part of me is like, this is why I get a little bit, um, what's the word, a little bit cautious with blaming Preller or blaming anyone uh, specifically blaming Melvin or Preller because like they don't they can't control that Xander Bogarts refuses to hit when someone's on base. The guy has less ERA, uh, less RBIs than Gary Sanchez. I, I, I mean it's 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 just remarkable how bad Xander Bogarts has been with driving runners in. Just the least clutch player on the entire team. It's really really incredible. Um, it does Hassan Kim have more RBIs than forty two versus. 41. Hassan Kim, the leadoff hitter, he has more RBIs than than um what's his what's his name? Xander Bogarts. And they've played all the games, and Gary Sanchez has played like 50 less games than him, yet he has more RBIs. It just shows you like how dreadful this has been. And it's not like Xander Bogarts is at the bottom of the lineup or anything. I do wonder if maybe they should consider doing that. Season looks a little bit lost anyway. Maybe they should do that. I mean, help Trey Turner over in Philadelphia a little bit. Now, part of that was also the fans and everything, but 
I'm just saying, like, it's, my God, my God. But yeah, I just think that that's, to, to sum up my point, they're the Bizarro Orioles in the sense that their numbers in a vacuum are better, their stars are better, their starting pitching is better, and their defense is better, but they have, they're five games below 500 while the Orioles are 20-something above 500. That shows you that the Orioles might be heading, unless they make some some big changes and make new additions this next season, heading for a regression next year, or it shows you the next thing, which is that the Padres are just remarkably unclutch. And it makes me wonder how, if our vitriol towards Preller and Melvin is sometimes a little bit unfair. Now, I get it. I get blaming the guy. But sometimes I look at that and say, hey, it's not A.J. Preller's fault that if you just hit basically what the Padres did last year with runners in scoring position, which is around like 16th in Major League Baseball from what I remember, then they would have been fine, at least above 500, theoretically. I don't know if it's Preller's fault that from last year to this year, uh, and it's not like they were super clutch last year, that they finished third. That would have shown you, okay, yeah, we were, we should have expected some regression from a lot of these players, despite the new additions. No, it shows you that like all you had to do was just be kind of average, and they refused to do that, and that's why I'm a little bit hesitant to fire people. But anyway, before we kind of uh, wind this thing down, talk about the last game, and talk about some other stuff, ladies and gentlemen, i got to talk to you about Sleeper. It's a great app. I love Sleeper. I love Sleeper. I use it for my fantasy football league, which we actually just, we've been using our our ESPN league or the ESPN app for so long for our fantasy football, but we switched over to Sleeper. We had a vote. We have like votes every off season. We switched over to Sleeper and I love it. They've got all sorts of detailed, you know, values and whatnot for you. You know, they give you like league history. They give you the player's history, the game log showing you all the points they get. You've got little mascots that fight each other. It's just quality of life stuff. Sleeper is great for fantasy football. I promise you. It's awesome. And also, they've got you when it comes to uh, daily fantasy, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, 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 yeah. Do you think that maybe someone could hit a home run tonight for the Padres? You think you have a good feeling someone's going to get some hits or maybe some strikeouts? Well, they've got you covered with daily fantasy stuff, too. Dynamic payouts are officially live. What are they? In short, each player projection now has a multiplier attached to it, as opposed to preset multipliers based on the number of legs in a contest. With dynamic payouts also comes more stat categories to place contests on. You can get higher payouts than other apps with less picks, ladies and gentlemen. So they got you covered with Sleeper. They got what you covered. And for me, you know who I'm taking tonight? I'm taking Tommy Pham to get over a half a hit. That's right. That's right. I'm taking him to get a hit. You know why? Because he absolutely rakes against us, ladies and gentlemen. Y'all remember last year when his first game for the Reds against us, he hit like a nuke. He looked like Barry Bonds against us. Well, and also to support that, and I, I got rid of the tab by accident, but I believe he is slashing 293, yep, 293, 356, 556 against the Padres in his career. Tommy Pham hates us. Absolutely hates us. But guys, uh, use promo code LOCKDOWN and it'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions do apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. <sighs> and we're back here. On the Lockdown Padres podcast, ladies and gentlemen, we're winding things down. We're feeling good. And it was a good series for the Padres. Um, they lost the first game of the series, which we're going to talk about really quickly. Um, and while I was praising some of the offensive players, again, what we were just talking about, runners at scoring position, not being clutch. Uh, in this game, Grayson Rodriguez, who has been 
a little bit underwhelming for the Orioles when it comes to prospects. Uh, he's got a 5.44 ERA after this start against the Padres. He's been a little bit underwhelming. He was widely considered to be the number one pitching prospect in baseball, and he's had some flashes. He's had some moments. You know, he shut down the Yankees a couple weeks ago. He did pretty good against the Blue Jays for the most part. He's He's been doing better. But on the season, that is great. But you know who he was facing, ladies and gentlemen? He was facing the Padres and has his best start in over two months, going seven innings, which was the longest he had um, done in quite some time, uh, only allowing one earned run on three hits, one walk, and six strikeouts. So Padres... Um, I don't have enough evidence for this necessarily, but it does feel like they are a team that against rookie, you know, newbie pitchers, uh, they just struggle. Uh, they will struggle against those guys. Instead of those should be games where your superstars absolutely light up the opposing pitching, but they don't. Um, and unfortunately, that's just kind of the story of this game. They lose 4-1. Um, you Darvish, not his worst start in the world. It looks kind of it looked worse than it was, but he does give up enough hard contact to account for four earned runs on eight hits. He walked one and struck out six. Again, Darvish has just been extremely inconsistent this year. Not really doing it for the team overall. Um, and I don't know what to say. We're going to have to talk about him um, later on and say what we project of him going forward. Maybe he's hurt. I don't know. We haven't really gotten that. Two years ago when he faltered for the Padres, he at least had some weird like back injury that he was reportedly addressing. This time, no. So maybe Padres just make, made the mistake of extending him. Um, an extension that even at the time, I don't think made uh, too much sense. I just thought that it was, I just thought it was a weird one. I just thought that you didn't need to do that, and it's taking some guy into your 40s and expecting that he's going to be able to keep it up. I just think, what if this is just who he is for a while? You know? Not the worst thing in the world, but what if this is just what he's going to be? A high, a low fours ERA guy who could get you some strikeouts, but that's it's not great, guys. Not great. Um the Padres, in terms of their batting, yeah, nobody really does anything in this game. Uh, one for three from Tatis with a walk and a stolen base, which is nice. Um, Campuzano goes one for three, our boy. Uh, and then Garrett Cooper is the one who drives in the lone RBI of the day with a single. Or I'm, I'm sorry, not a single. He did that the other day. Uh, with a home run, Garrett Cooper now with the Padres. Not too bad. Um, not too bad with the Padres. He's starting to slowly heat up. Uh, 474 slugging percentage now with them. Uh, hopefully his numbers get a little bit better. I mean, hopefully they platoon him and Choi a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, just not great from them overall. Bogart's one for two with a walk. Not much to say here. Um, Darvish doesn't do well. And then the Padres, look, as I mentioned, I think that it's, look, Machado driving in those runs and kind of adding on to the lead um, in those other two games. And then to end this game, grinds into a double play to end it. Like, that tells you all you need to know, not just about Manny Machado's season, but just about the Padres in general. Like, they love driving people in when they're already up. When they're down and they and the season's on the line, first and second, one out, you're trying to make a comeback for once this year? Nope. Nope. Grand into a double play. And it's funny, and someone actually pointed this out, uh, the comments, shouts to you, sir. I had recorded, I believe it was my podcast about Juan Soto uh, and the potential extension uh, during this game, um, it was like the fifth inning or something like that. I forgot what inning it was. And I decided, you know what? I have to do something later. Let me get my recording done now. And I joked on the pod being like, yeah, and, you know, this game's going on in the middle of it. And Xander Bogarts is probably going to end the game hitting into a double play. I was close. I should have said Machado. I should have said Machado, man. Let me tell you. Uh, Machado ending the game with a double play. So that was really weird. And I did not mean to do that. That was not a... Sometimes I do a reverse jinx attempts. I did not even mean to do that. I was just joking around. And, well, it came true. Um, this Padres team, man, when it comes 
to winning close games. Just truly dreadful. Everybody knows about the extra inning stat. Everyone knows about their in general stats with runners in scoring position. Just crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, but then um, I like that over the athletic, uh, Dennis Lynn kind of wrote about this and talked about Bob Melvin and the fact that his team, uh, like just historically with him, um, they don't lose close games. Uh, the, and now reading from the article from the athletic, um, the results, meanwhile, formed a convincing portrait. And what many in the industry landed lauded as a coup for San Diego, Melvin had been hired away from Oakland, where the three-time manager of the year oversaw re- repeated success in tight spots. Across 10-plus seasons, his A's teams led the majors in walk-off wins and winning percentage, and games ended on a walk-off. They ranked second in extra-inning wins and third in extra-inning winning percentage. He's as good as anybody I've seen, said Price, who managed the Cincinnati Reds from 2014 through 2018. All those walk-off victories, that's not a coincidence. The players did it, but somebody has to put them in position to attain that success. Someone has to put them in a matchup that allows them to go out there and give the team the best chance to be successful, and he does it. Um, So, I mean, it's crazy because last year... The Padres had the great finish despite having a lot of its talent missing, despite Fernando Tatis Jr. not playing at all, despite, you know, just not having all that much on paper really heading into the season. And they did well and they were super clutch and they had really great moments. I mean, Jorge Alfaro became like a Padres cult legend last year. So I'm only saying all of that because I want to remind people of Bob Melvin's tenure and why he is so respected. I just said, look, I'm going to say it again. A's teams across 10-plus seasons led the majors in walk-off wins and winning percentage in games ended on a walk-off. They ranked second in extra-inning wins and third in extra-inning winning percentage. It is hard for me to believe, especially after last year, because you can't just say, oh, well, he did that with the A's and maybe he's not right for the Padres. Well, he did it last year. So you're basically implying that Bob Melvin has just become suddenly a bad manager after a year. And that's why I think that the blaming of Bob Melvin just isn't fair. I think that it's possible they just keep both Preller and Melvin for next year and just hope, let's run it back. Let's hope that just the overall stats on our team suggest we should have been much better. And maybe if we just play to those numbers, you know, and not be dreadful in close games, then maybe, you know, we'll do something. Or they get rid of Melvin more likely, which would be crazy. And I just, that's why. This is what I'm trying to say, is that I know, I know that the bullpen management hasn't been great. But I just... There comes a point where I'm like, bro, I can't blame the manager that every multiple dip. This isn't just Melvin keeps trusting Luis Garcia and who's another kind of middling reliever. When he was on the team like Brent Honeywell or Tim Hill or something like that, it's not that. He'll put in Steven Wilson and he'll blow the lead. He'll put in Robert Suarez, who is not getting any more whiffs anymore, by the way. Not getting nearly as many strikeouts. He looks like he's in bad shape and he blows the lead. It's not his fault that Nick Martinez, who's slightly better than those other guys, will come in and give up a huge home run, right? Like he's been giving up way too many home runs this year. Maybe he's been a little bit unlucky with the home run fly ball, right? But nonetheless. And then Tom Cosgrove and all these guys, like I just don't think it's fair to blame him. Because it's not like he's faulted and used the same player that keeps failing, like a Luis Garcia. You know, he's just doing what he can with what he has. You know, I do think he deserves some criticism for not using Hader more. Um, because I think Hader is gone after the season and that you should not be afraid to potentially use him in an eighth eighth inning, let's say, when the top of the uh, opponent's lineup is there. It's an old-fashioned thing that managers cling to, the idea of a save notion. They like it to be up when they use their closer. Uh, an antiquated belief in my opinion, but again, it's not Melvin's fault that these guys, when they are brought in, they don't just, ah, they got hit a little bit. 
No, it's always the worst case scenario with Padres relievers when they come in. And that to me isn't just managing. That to me is a little bit of managing, a little bit, but more so just players not performing. Like when we had the infamous walk-offs to the Giants, guys, all Luis Garcia had to do was go in and not give up like four runs. That's usually not that bad of an ask for a Major League Baseball reliever to at least not be that bad. You give up a solo shot and then you you get rid of the rest of the side. Okay, that happens. But this, every scenario. So I just want to. I'm just plugging those stats because I want to emphasize that I th- I really just don't think Melvin is is the problem with this team. I think that it's a a cultural, functional, like dysfunctional organization problem, and that these this team just doesn't know how to win. You, I would even more so understand if people are like, hey, they brought in Bogarts. Maybe that messed things up. You know, it's Soto before he's signed an extension. You know, they bring in Waka. They bring in some of these guys. Maybe maybe that's what you want to say. Uh, but it's hard for me to believe because Xander Bogarts has won before. So, again, I just think that it's a team that's just a bunch of overpaid guys that just refuse to be clutch in any sort of scenario whatsoever. Absent your Tatis, Kim, and Soto, right? Like, aside from those guys... To a degree. I mean, Tatis has been really bad lately, but like right when he came back, he was more clutch and better at driving runners in than everyone on the team except Soto. I know that's gone down lately, but that just shows you like no one has winning attitude on this team right now. So really rough overall. But yeah, everybody, that about does it for today's episode. Uh, Me and my rants, kind of over with that. Um, On tomorrow's episode, I don't know fully what we're going to do yet. We're going to recap tonight's game for sure as well, but we're also probably going to talk about yeah, like what I alluded to earlier, who should the Padres bring back next year? You know, should they look to make sure to keep Waka? Should they try to keep Seth Lugo? Should they keep Gary Sanchez? What are some potential early offseason moves, maybe, that we should look at the team um, making uh, to potentially redeem themselves from this travesty of a season that I know it's not officially over, but I think anyone who's watched the team this year knows it's probably going to be over. Um, and again, looking forward to this weekend's series to see what happens there. Um, The only thing keeping me going when it comes to baseball is at least we can make fun of the Yankees (laughs) because that team is so bad. (laughs) They are getting cooked alive. And remember, if you want to take the Yankees into account, that team, partially why they've been bad is because they've just, the ownership doesn't care, right? Hal Steinbrenner, one World Series went away. And what did they do? Or one, one went away from the World Series in 2018. What did they do? They cut back on payroll. At least the Padres don't seem to be in that position. And frankly, if if Seidler had said we're cutting back on payroll, I would actually understand it if he said that. You know, I, they would actually be like, oh, okay. I mean, we've kind of faltered. We 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 biffed it big time. So I can understand why you might be like, we're gonna cut back on this a little bit. You know, even though all these guys can afford it, don't get me wrong. At least it would be the rare ownership saying we're gonna cut back, and I'd actually be like, oh, I mean, like, I kind of get you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I kind of get it in this case. So um, hopefully. Uh, that keeps you guys a little bit uh, upbeat. Just remember that. At least we're not the Yankees. At least we're not the Rockies and all these bad teams. It could be worse. We still have the talent. Um, but everybody, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O. Feel free to use the SiriusXM app to look up the podcast and tune it to uh, Padres broadcast for the games. Um, follow the Padres account at LO underscore Padres or follow the old YouTube Locked on Padres on YouTube. And with that all being said, that is the end of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Stay safe and, of course, stay faithful. My fire faithful homies, take care.